we're going to get right into it. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for your word. And as always, we ask, ask for your blessing for you to help us understand what we have before us. Help us to pay attention. And Lord, uh, as uh, even Ray had reminded us to, to not allow ourselves to be distracted. We can be distracted with so much. Uh, there's so much going on. And, and yet right now, um, Lord, we, we need to uh, give you our undivided attention. At this moment, um, you want us to hear from you. I know that that's what you desire for us to do, to sit as Mary did at your feet, uh, to just listen, to understand, and to take in what you have for your church to hear. And so, Lord, it's with that perspective, it's with that mindset and heart set that we come this evening uh, to study this chapter, yes, and to hear from you. And so, Lord, may that be um, a fact with us, that we, would, that we would incline our ears to you at this moment. So we commit this time into your hands, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, guess what the Israelites did? Evil in the sight of the Lord. Who'd have thunk, right? It's kind of like the, the thing that they've been doing. And, and we know that this is, this is indeed what's been happening through, throughout the book of uh, Judges. But um, we're going to learn about Samson this evening, about his parents and the angel of the Lord. How it was that the angel of the Lord appeared to, to um, Manoah, who was Samson's father's uh, well, it was Manoah, Samson's father, and then appeared to Manoah's wife. Uh, and um, how it is that that all worked out and uh, just everything, all the details of that is what we have before. So let's begin in Judges chapter 13, verse 1, which says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So, Again, as, as I said, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They, they failed to repent on their own, and so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. You know, uh, the, the Israelites uh, could have avoided all of this had they simply acknowledged that they were sinning, that they, that they had turned their backs on the Lord and repented, confessed their sins, I acknowledge what I've been doing, we've been doing is not of the Lord, it's not... Um, it shouldn't be. And so therefore we confess that and we repent. They could have saved themselves all this time of being oppressed and being, um, well, really put into bondage throughout all of these years. But they didn't. And so with that, the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines. We see the Israelites experience deliverance, blessing, compromise, or sin, oppression, bondage, confession, crying out to the Lord, and then repentance, deliverance, and so the cycle continues around and around. Now, in their rebellion of God, it's ironic how by their actions, they didn't want to be ruled by anyone or anything. And yet, by their compromise, and think about this, 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 is, this is where we can be Many times we don't want to be ruled by the Lord. We don't want to uh, come under His His uh, governance, His leadership, and so we believe that we're free, right? So listen, listen to what I have to say here, because in their rebellion of God, it's ironic how by their actions did not want to be ruled by anyone, and yet by their compromise were ruled by every little thing that they believed they had the liberty to experience and quote unquote mix with. It's interesting, you'll be ruled by that which you set your heart to. If it's not to the Lord, you'll be ruled by something or someone else. It's all up to you. We're made to worship. That's what we've been created to do, to praise, to um, idolize. We are actually created to do that very thing. And so if we're not giving praise and worship to the one who created us, we're giving it somewhere else. And we're in bondage to that. And so the story of Samson, who is the next judge assigned by God, begins with the Israelites doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Israelites being handed over to the Philistines for these 40 years. 
We also need to keep in mind as we continue that God never gave the Israelites over to the Philistines or anyone else for any other reason than for them to see their sins for what they were and to bring them to act on that conviction by repenting of their sins and returning to a right relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 11 says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Uh, You can only be trained if you subject yourself to the training. If you allow yourself to be corrected through God's discipline, otherwise it's repeated over and over and it really doesn't do you much good if you don't uh, submit to that, if you don't subject yourself to it and follow along. Discipline, instruction and correction. To right what has fallen to one side or the other. I, I can think of, uh, of a vessel that's out at sea. If it's listing to one side or another, you have to remove that which is uh, making it list. Uh, there are these things called bilges on the bottom of ships in different compartments. And if those things, that isn't pumped out, it begins to list to one side or the other. It affects the, the direction it's going in, the course that it takes. And sooner or later, it can have it go over to the side so far that it sinks the whole vessel entirely. And so the Lord's discipline is just that. Wants to pump out that which doesn't belong, that it may be righted and continue on the course that God has intended for that vessel to take and reach. So we have the Israelites who did evil inside of the Lord, and so they're given over to the Philistines for 40 years. Verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razors shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So here we have yet another woman who is barren. Right? We have stories of women who have been barren and who have been blessed by God to have a child that is consecrated or set aside for the Lord. And I can think of uh, Hannah. You know, Hannah was barren. And uh, she was a woman who... Uh, just pleaded with the Lord and, and promised that if the Lord would bless her with a child, that uh, she would set him aside, would completely uh, consecrate him unto the Lord for his service. And, and the Lord blessed her. The Lord blessed her with young Samuel. And Samuel was given over to the Lord. Now, she is the wife of Manoah, who is from the tribe of Dan. They are living in Zorah, which is about 15 miles west of Jerusalem. It was a time when she was alone. She was alone by herself. That an angel, of, that the angel of the Lord appeared to her and confirmed what she already knew. At first, he simply confirmed, "You're barren." Yes, I am. I'm barren. You have had no children. That is true. I have had no children whatsoever. But he told her something else. You will conceive and bear a son. The angel of the Lord did not tell her, you will, you will conceive and bear a child. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but you're going to be pregnant. 
We'll see. No, he told her very clearly, right? You will conceive and you will bear a son. Now, I want to be very clear because this isn't um, up for discussion. The, the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. And we'll see later why this is indisputable. It was no other. It could have been no other. And we'll see how that's the truth as we go through this chapter. You'll see it for yourself as it's worked out. The angel of the Lord declared, You shall. It was a proclamation. It was a declaration. It was something that was absolute. When he said, You shall, um, there could be no other. No other option. And he says, You shall conceive and bear a son. And then he gave her specific instructions on the consecration of her son-to-be that hadn't even been conceived at this moment. So, by the way, you're going to conceive, you're going to bear a son, and um, you will be a Nazarite from the, from the womb, and uh, no strong drink, no wine, no unclean food is to touch his lips. Now, this wasn't odd. This wasn't something that was out of the ordinary. This was actually, uh, you know, quite common in those days to take a Nazarite vow. In fact, uh, in Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, we read what what the commandment is for the person who has taken the Nazarite vow. So in Numbers chapter 6, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite. And so it doesn't just pertain to men, but also women. To separate himself to the Lord, uh, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair of hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister. If they die, uh, if they die, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. And so it goes on all through verse 21, and then we have Aaron's blessing at the close of this chapter. So these are, this is where we find the rules of consecration unto the Lord under this vow. Now, what's different in this case from the others is that it's not a temporary vow. It's not something that uh, you know, I say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take the Nazarite vow. I want to separate, separate myself unto the Lord and um, give myself to him in this manner for the next year, two years, six months. Uh, this, this was different. This was different because not only was her son to be a Nazarite from the womb. So in other words, he was to take this Nazarite vow. He was, it was to be applied to him from the time he was in the womb, but throughout his life, and as we read, to his death. So through his, throughout his whole life, he was to be a Nazarite, to follow Judges chapter 6. Not only that, but the angel of the Lord said to Manoah's wife, You shall not partake of any strong drink, no wine, or any unclean food. There's nothing. So this is there's something special going on here. This child is is uh, is going to not only be conceived, but he is he has been set aside, set apart to do something very special for the Lord. So that's what's what's different. So from the very beginning, they had to have thought, man, this is this is something special right here. The Lord desires to do something through this son of ours that we're going to conceive. Something that the angel of the Lord was kind of interesting to me. But it makes sense when we know the whole story of Samson from start to finish, which we do, right? We know the story of Samson from start to finish. 
But, and we see how it unfolds. And this begins to make sense as, as we see it unfolding in his life. But the Lord said this, the angel of the Lord said this, and he shall begin. That word begin is, is he's not going to finish. He's not going to fully deliver them. Uh, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That was found in verse 5. So it's interesting because the Lord knows all things, right? And as we continue to study through the book of Judges and see not only this chapter, but the next three chapters, the life of Samson, we'll see how it is that he begins this work for the next 20 years. This is exactly what he'll be doing. They do not see a full deliverance during his time. Now, we know that the Philistines may have feared Samson, but there was continual strife between the Israelites and the Philistines throughout the time of Samson. It's interesting to me how the Spirit can make known what would otherwise not be known by the natural mind. For instance, uh, you think about how it was when Elizabeth was with child. And how it was that uh, Mary came and visited her. You remember that, that scene there where um, as, as Mary came into the presence of Elizabeth, how it was that Little John in the womb, John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting. The natural mind would look at that. You, you could think of that and think, ah, you know, it was just a coincidence. It's just something that happened. But I don't believe it's a coincidence. The Bible says that John leapt in the womb. It means that he knew exactly who was in his presence. Elizabeth knew, and it had been revealed to her, and so it was to Mary. Mary knew as well, and they could rejoice together. The Lord can make us to know what otherwise would be impossible to know with the natural mind. And so the angel of the Lord visited Manoah's wife, and then she turned around and told her husband what had taken place. You see, God knows all things, right, from start to finish. That's why the angel of the Lord, in our timeline, could come to Manoah's wife at this point and say that Samson is going to be born, and he's going to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And he indeed started to do that very work. Now, Manoah's wife described the angel of the Lord as a man of God. His appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome is what she said. She's describing him. Right? At this point, we know that we, we have the benefit of looking at this, and we know that's the angel of the Lord. Um, for Manoah and his wife, they didn't know this at this point. They just knew this man of God, this, this, this angel of God, like, like, had like the appearance of an angel of God. It was very awesome, is how she described him. She didn't ask him his name. She didn't ask him where he was from, because those are common things to ask, right? Especially if he's going to be declaring those things. <laughs> what? Wait, wait, right? What's your name? Where are you from? She was so awestruck that she asked none of that. Not his name, not where he was from. She just took him to be someone, and, and, and this is what I'm reading from, this is that she just took, you know what, this is what came to me, and I, I, I believe this is to be so. Perhaps we should take note here. I don't know of anyone who's been personally visited by Jesus, because he won't come back until the rapture. He'll, he's going to snatch us up. And then at one time, at his second coming, he'll put his feet down. You know where he's going to put his feet down? The Mount of Olives. Right? But until then, you and I worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, we believe. We exercise the faith that we've been given. But I think it would, be, it would benefit us greatly... To regard the word of the Lord in the same reverent manner as this woman regarded the spoken word of the angel of the Lord. She took it for what it was. I, I think um, uh, 
You know, it's good to study the Word of God. It's good to go through it. But quite frankly, I think we are irreverent a lot of time towards it. We need to take it for what it is, not twist it, not pull it out of context, but leave it where it is and begin to study and make every effort to interpret it the way God has explained it and in context wants us to interpret it. We read the word. I mean, how many Christians neglect the word? I, it, it's sad to say that most neglect the word who profess to be Christians and yet never pick up the word of God. How often do you read? Do you read it every day? If you read it every day, you know, for how long do you, you know, are you tired after a, a couple minutes of reading through it? Or, or do you sit there with the word for long periods of time? Um, but most people don't read it every day, sadly enough. So Manoah's wife, she, she heard this from the angel of the Lord and she took it for what it was. He said it, and she was very excited about what he had spoken. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I don't know about you, but I, believe, I, I need more teaching. I need more reproof. I need more correction. I need more training in righteousness. That I have come to know even until today. I, I need more. I, I don't have enough. And I need it every day. That I may be a man who's subjected to God. That may be, I may be mature and equipped for every good work. We can't do that if we're not reading. We just can't. You know how quickly we forget? We forget very, very, very quickly. So we need to stay in the word that it may be fresh in our hearts and in our minds. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. And even then we'll sin. So who's to say that that person who doesn't read regularly and takes the word in a humble and reverent manner, approaching in that way, won't forget even more and fall even more. I think we should take heed here as we see how it is that Manoah's wife receives this word with great care, with great reverence, and she brings it back to her husband. And she tells her husband about everything that the angel of the Lord had told her. And I imagine that the, the last couple of verses there, that it wasn't something like, oh, you know, that this man of God, you know, his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of the Lord. And, you know, no, it was probably very, she was very excited, right? Because she described him also as he had the appearance of the angel of the Lord. It was awesome. That word awesome um, should be directed toward the Lord. Awesome just just beyond what I could really put into words, all I could say is he was, he was amazing. He was awesome. So verse 8 is Manoah's response. So verse 8 says, And Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent uh, come again to us and teach us that we are, uh, what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now, when your words come true... What is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine. Neither let her drink wine or strong drink 
or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. It's, um, it's an interesting exchange. Manoah had heard what his wife told him, what had happened. But Manoah wanted a personal confirmation. And so he asked the Lord for that personal confirmation. I, 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 I want to know. And the Lord heard him and answered. He was given that personal confirmation, but nothing more. That was it. Manoah had requested of the Lord to send this man of God back to them and to teach them what they are to do with the child when he's born. And the Lord listened and the angel of God came, but the angel of the Lord came to the woman just like before. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like the angel of the Lord didn't know when it was that Manoah and his wife were together. That would have been good, right? Ah, they're together? Okay, here's a good opportunity. Let's go talk to him. Uh, an answer to his prayer. No, he appeared to her once more, and she ran to her husband and said, You know, the man of God that uh, I told you about before, the angel of God, well, he's back. He's here. And so Manoah, he dropped everything and went to where the angel of the Lord was. And the angel of the Lord confirmed that he was indeed the one who had appeared to his wife previously when Manoah asked him. And then Manoah asked for the child's manner of life. So what will be his manner of life? He already knew because the angel of the Lord had told Manoah's wife and Manoah's wife had told him. This is his manner of life. But he asked one more thing. What's his mission? Wouldn't you be curious about that? What, I mean, he's to take this Nazarite vow and he's to fulfill it throughout his whole life. So what's his mission? What's he to do? I, I want to know. Like, what's, what's my son going to do? The angel of the Lord simply said that what he has said to his wife is what she is to carefully observe and fulfill completely. The angel of the Lord simply ignored the part two of the question. What will be his mission in his life? He ignored it. He had already stated what he said. He told him enough. He told him what he had uh, to do. And so... That was all. As far as his faithfulness, Manoah would be faithful to the Lord by simply doing what he had been told to do. Nothing more, nothing less. The future of our lives is not where we will, or the the future of our lives is not where we ought to be as far as our minds are concerned. We ought to know about the future as far as prophecy is concerned. But not necessarily where we ought to be living our lives. Uh, Be faithful with today and God will determine what tomorrow holds for us. Only he knows that. Our concern should be with today. What are we going to do with the day in which the Lord has placed us and given us breath and in our heart beating and pumping blood, you know, giving us life. In this day that God's given us life, what are we going to do with that? Matthew 6.34 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And isn't that true? We have enough on our plate today. Let alone adding a concern about tomorrow. When it isn't even a reality. You know, how often do we, are we all worked up about the coming days when... We're not living in tomorrow. We're not living in next week or next month. We don't know what it holds, right? Well, we're so worried. We're so overwhelmed. We're, we're just, we can get depressed thinking about future days. The Lord said, no, today. Today is the day that I've given to you. This is the day that you should be living like this. Psalm 118.24 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, right? So tomorrow has its own trouble. Today, let us live today to its fullest. Uh, Let us make the best use of today. That's what the word tells us to do. And so the angel of the Lord told them once more to be careful. 
to observe what he told Manoah's wife originally. So that's all I'm telling you, Manoah. <laughs> what I told your wife, I'm telling you. Make sure you're careful to observe what I've already commanded. This is what you are to do. Verse 15 says, uh, now we have a response. Uh, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Verse 17, And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Stop there for just a moment. So, Manoah at this point was really eager to, to detain, to hold this man, to delay this man from going anywhere. He didn't want him to go anywhere. Hey, listen, <laughs> if I get some nice ribeye and put it on the barbecue and, you know, make you some, a, a good dinner, will you stick around? You know, I just, he just wanted to just delay his departure. He wanted him to just, just stay a little longer. Would you do that? And then Manoah also asked him some other questions. He, he asked him what his name was, because Manoah didn't know uh, who this was, who it was before him. The angel of the Lord was basically saying, after he offered, he offered him dinner, right? Um, he, he, at that point, Manoah did not understand. He did not comprehend. He, he did not know that this was indeed the angel of the Lord. It was God himself before him. And he still didn't get it when he told him, I, I won't eat of your food, but prepare a burnt offering. Offer it to the Lord. But then, so Manoah kind of, you kind of go over that, right? He told him that, okay, yeah, you know, I'll offer something to the Lord. That's good. That's, that's good. But what's your name? I, I want to know what your name is. That I may honor you when all this comes to pass. I want to make mention of you. You know, when, when my son is born, I want to say, you know what? This man and his name is... He told me about this way back when. I want to honor you when, my, when this all comes about, when my child is conceived and, and he's born, and I, I want to make known that you told me about this even way before. Oh, his name? My name? Oh. It is wonderful. <laughs> oh, Manoah should have known at that point, right? Everything that had taken place up to that point, that very moment. Isaiah 9 6 says, 9 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Who is before you, Manoah? My name is Wonderful. He still didn't know that it was the angel of the Lord that was before him. Jesus, pre-incarnate, before he was born in Bethlehem, not too far from where they were. Not too far. So Manoah didn't have a clue. Not yet. Not yet. And so he went off and prepared this offering. This burnt offering and grain offering. Verse 19. So Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the 
one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching. And they fell on their faces to the ground. Two times the word watching appears here. The first time is referring to observing the sacrifice together. Both Manoah and his wife, they were watching. Manoah and his wife were there to make their offering together to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. In other words, their whole act of worship was together. Their eyes were fixed on the Lord in genuine worship. They were watching. They were participating. They were observing this, um, this worship in giving it to the Lord together. They, they were not distracted by anything else. Nothing. They were together worshiping the Lord, the one who works wonders. The second time the word watching is used, it is referring to when Manoah and his wife both observed the Lord ascending in the flame of the altar. They were fixed on worshiping the Lord and now were there to observe and were fixed on what had just taken right before taken place right before them. Had one or both not been watching or observing, participating in, and having their eyes fixed on the act of their offering, which is worship to God, one or both would have missed the wonderful thing the Lord had done in their midst. How often I see people miss what the Lord is doing before their eyes because they are distracted by other things. The worship of God is before you in your offering of sacrifice of praise. Your offering of praise, the praise of your lips, of your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, it comes, and it's praise, hopefully, to the Lord. We also have an offering of our very lives unto the Lord. It's it's our whole lives that we offer unto Him. What does that mean? That means that in that offering, we, we give ourselves to the Lord in such a way that he can use us as he sees fit. To serve him. Whether it be in the home, in our marriage, or in church. On the missions field. Wherever it is that the Lord has us. That we give ourselves to worshiping him. But the question is, are you paying attention to the wonderful things God is doing in your midst? Do you see it? Have you seen it? Are you paying attention? Or are you distracted by something or someone else? We can be so fixed on things that we miss the whole, we miss it. We miss him doing a special work in our midst, right before our very eyes. Why We're, we're distracted by by little foxes that are running around, destroying the field. We're, we're here and there, but, but our minds are not set on the Lord. We're not fixed on Him. Do you sing His praises one minute, and yet are consumed with complaint or murmuring and gossip the next? If so, you're missing what He's doing with the genuine sacrifice of the person. He's doing something in you, but he's doing something in your midst and you're missing it. There would be much more rejoicing if you were fixed on him and him alone. What I mean by this is that, well, maybe this will help a little bit more. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You must carefully watch or observe and participate during the first part in verse 1, 
in order to watch, observe, and participate during the second part of that. You might want to jot down Romans 12, 1 and 2 in order to go back. That, that might take a, like a little bit of just like going through. But think about that. If you don't have the first down, you can't move on to the second. Luke 9.23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Denying the things of the flesh, world, the world, Satan himself. So dying to the flesh and, and then following the Lord. And keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus in the midst of worship and serving him. Especially. Right? That's what we ought to do. That's who we ought to be. That's just who we are. We're fixed on him. Nothing is going to take that fixation on the Lord. That worship of him. Nothing is going to draw me away. I, I, want to, I don't want to miss a thing. I want to see all the little things that he's doing. If we did, we would, be, we would be rejoicing even more. We would be more excited about him and what he's doing in our lives. And in the lives of people around us. We would rejoice even more. When you come worship and serve the Lord, pray. And ask him to help you focus on him alone and nothing and no one else and see what he's doing. Because he's doing wonderful things that you may miss if you're not paying attention to him in your service. That's why it's so important. Even, um, you know, Ray's, I know Ray's really good about reminding us, you know, let's, let's not allow things to distract us. Let, let us come into this time of worshiping the Lord, singing his praises. And he reminds us. And I do not get tired of hearing that. I need to hear that one more time. Do not be distracted. Focus on me. Remember that these words that you're singing are are unto the Lord. And and I can't let my mind wander somewhere else. I just can't. We need to be paying attention to him and him alone. The moment they saw the angel of the Lord ascend in the flame of the altar, Manoah and his wife, they fell, on, they fell on their faces. They finally realized, oh, this was no earthly messenger. This was God himself. Because verse 21 says, The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and, his, and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. Oh, now Manua knew uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was God. And he said they were going uh, at this point. He said (laughs) that 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 was the angel of the Lord and we're going to die. But his wife, calm, cool, collected, right? Told him basically if the Lord had wanted to kill us, he would have by now. But he didn't. Not only did he not kill them, but remember he accepted this burnt offering from us. Because now we realize that this burnt offering that we offered and the grain offering was for him. Not only that, but he told us all these wonderful things. All of these things he told us. He announced them to us. It was Abraham who had believed that God would raise his son Isaac from the dead because God had promised that through Isaac he would bless the nations. God, just as as Manoah and his wife knew, God does not go back on his word. Here we have Manoah's wife who served as an encourager to Manoah. Um, ladies, listen closely. She didn't put Manoah down. Men too. Because we need to be this to our wives as well. 
She didn't put him down or belittle him. She simply encouraged him with what was true. Think about that. Didn't, didn't put him down. And, and men also, the other way around, if, it was, if the tables were turned, it, it should be the same. Not belittle, not put down, but simply stated the truth. This is what he said. And she served as an encourager to her husband. God does not desire to destroy us, but to provide for himself an offering, as he did on our behalf, that it may be an acceptable one for our sins, that we may be made whole in Christ, righteous by his shed blood, justified and have the assurance of God's forgiveness. That's what he desires. Uh, We should always encourage and remind each other of what is true and what is wonderful. Remember this. This is, is, is this not what God told us? In his word, he says this. And we ought to encourage one another. And so Manoah is freaking out. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And his wife says, no, no, no. If he wanted to kill us, he would have killed us. But remember his words. He even received this burnt offering from us. He promised all of this. And so Manoah was encouraged by his wife's wife's words. And then finally, verse 24, it says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in uh, Manedan between Zorah and Eshtel. The declaration of the Lord at this point has come to pass, and Samson was born, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Which means that Samson was learning what his calling was and how to use it. Um, It's good how, as we come together, we stir each other up to love and good works. That means that the Lord uses us to do this very same thing. As the Spirit is stirring us, so He brings the fellowship together. If if, um, uh, you can go to Ephesians chapter 4. And as you go through verses, I believe it's 11 through 17, you see how it is that the church comes together, that as we grow in maturity in the Lord, we get to, uh, to a point, hopefully the goal is to get to a point to where when everyone's doing their part, um, we, we, uh, we know the Word of God so well, we, we know sound doctrine to where we're not fooled by, by false doctrine. Right? So, The Spirit of the Lord was stirring Samson and growing him, maturing him. And it's it's a beautiful thing that the Lord does. This is the work of the Lord. And he does it through in his people and through his people. And the Lord began to stir him up. The Holy Spirit was his source of strength. This is what's interesting also. When you see a picture of Samson, what do you see? How is he drawn out? Is it like... Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? This, this massive man. Now, if you would see a man um, like Goliath, and he takes on so many men that he throws them around like, like little dolls, rag dolls, then you wouldn't be scratching your head thinking, where does he get his strength, right? But keep this in mind as we, we're going to continue through the story of Samson uh, next week, okay? But keep this in mind. Everyone was wondering where Samson got his strength from because this was no ordinary man. This is, there's something going on here. I have a feeling Samson was just your everyday Joe. He, he wasn't anything to behold. You know, like, huh, that's interesting. Rawl is taking on some pretty giant guys there and like throwing them around like they're nothing. I wonder where he gets his strength from. I think that that is more of what we see in Samson because it was the Holy Spirit. It was him who was giving him that strength. And and the Philistines were wondering, where is he getting the supernatural strength from? The people wanted to know what his secret was and why he was able to do what he was able to do. Uh, We're going to close with this. Man is always looking at the outward. But God is interested in showing himself to do the impossible through you and I. He still desires to do that. Uh, To 
Glory belongs to no one else but him. You know, man looks at, at, at the outside like the person, right? Kind of sizes you up. But let me tell you this. No one can size you up when you have the Lord. They have no idea the strength that you have in the Lord to remain faithful to him. And, and what I'm saying by that is that I can attribute my walk with the Lord to no one else than the Lord himself, his spirit. Because if I was left to my strength in the flesh, I would still be in the world doing the things of the world. It is only by his strength. Do you understand what I'm saying? The world looks at the outside, but the Lord is always interested in the matters of the heart and to give man a new heart and to fill him with his spirit that God may receive the glory and praise for the things done in the child of God and through him. Here was a man who was set apart to do a special work for the Lord. And even from the womb, he was set apart and called to live a life set apart unto the Lord. May the Holy Spirit stir in us that which he desires for us to be and do in his name and for his glory, believing that he can do all things. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are nothing without you. I ask right now, Lord, that, Lord, you would um, remind us once more how it is that you are faithful, that you desire for us to be set apart unto you, that we may have that sweet fellowship with you and that we may be used by you to your glory, whatever it is, Lord, just... uh, I think it's just amazing to remain faithful to you, Lord, to, uh, to rejoice in you, to find joy in you, um, to be satisfied with you. Lord, help us to know you even more. Because we only love because we were first loved. And with that, I just... Uh, We commit ourselves to you once more. We thank you, Lord, for this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.